Well, we told you guys last week we wanted to get back to Christian living, and that's what we will attempt to do first, discussing cheating and adultery. We also want to discuss the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action, and we will end with our Bible topic, our discussion from Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. Should be a good show, so let's get to it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are very grateful that you're joining us today. If you're new here, uh, don't let the name fool you. We ourselves are very Christian folk, at least we like to think so. But the world, and especially this country that we're in, is not. Uh, It's increasingly secular, increasingly religionless, you could say. And that, at least in part, is where we get the name from. So we're going to try to do today what we do every Saturday, and that's Take a look at this world that we find ourselves in and figure out how to live a life that's pleasing to God in the midst of it. Keep our eyes fixed on Christ in the midst of it. Um, And we do have some good stories to get to. Not as many as I wanted to get to, but, um, you know, sometimes there's just not enough time in the episode to uh, discuss all the things that need to be discussed. So I think we got two good stories here to talk about, plus a good Bible topic and a good sermon recommendation. It's all good. So I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we get to all the news, all the stories, is there anything you would like to say? Any prayer requests? Anything of that sort? I just want to praise God. I got to see my good friend, Rebecca, and I got to meet her two youngest children. It's been a long time. Well, I get to, I saw her once when she was passing through without her kids, but yeah. it was good to see all her kids and then our kids playing together and... It was a good few days, so. It's funny because this girl is basically the first friend, really, that we ever made after we got married. And, you know, I joined the military almost 18 years ago. And when we made friends then, it was at a church small group called Young Married Couples Without Kids. And now we're old married couples with tons of kids. So <laughs> um, it's funny to see the way life works out sometimes, but it was good to see Becca yeah. Um, we've actually seen them a lot recently, both her and her husband, not together, but individually. Kind of weird the way that worked out, but it did. So that was cool. She got <laughs> some good kids. But um, as far as prayer requests, so I think I had mentioned to you guys last week or two weeks ago, my cousin Casey, who uh, was found guilty years ago of first degree murder, given life without parole. That court case got overturned. He was freed, but on house arrest, I think for the last five years, basically. But as of like this week, I guess some news broke that they found somebody that's connected to the case of the girl that was murdered, his girlfriend at the time, who they think also might have been the one to commit the crime. So I don't know a ton about it, but it looks like there might be a positive outcome, at least our family's um, consideration. Um, still a horrific story, but keep praying. Um, you know, I pray, like I asked you guys before, that justice would be done. However justice works itself out, that true and fair and honest justice would be done. If it was Casey, then that justice would be done. But if he's innocent, then justice would be done. Uh, that's what I pray for. And then just 
the souls of all those involved, like we talked about before, anytime you start bringing up these old, you know, homicide cases and stuff, right? Parents have these scabs ripped off again, their daughter's still gone, that's still horrendous. Um, So just pray for those people. I think if you watched last week's episode again, maybe that prayer request is in there, but at least a ray of hope uh, there for our family, which is great news. And um, yeah, so we'll just go ahead and get these plugs out of the way and get rolling on the news here. So uh, first and foremost, I saw this story just this week. Um, body cam footage shows undercover cops shoot and kill armed man. Police say he was trying to steal a car. What is your deal, bro? Why I bring this up, you guys know every week we talk to you about uh, cardinal contingency solutions. We love cardinal contingency solutions. And a lot of times we talk about what they can do for your missionary organizations, you know, preparing them to travel into dangerous countries or, um, you know, counter messaging, counter exploitation. They do all these sorts of things. Another thing they do uh, is body cam narration for law enforcement officers or um, anybody that has a body cam, but mostly law enforcement officers, because oftentimes when law enforcement officers get into these deadly, you know, shootout type situations, the body cam footage is combed through. And it's important that you're trained on how to get your point across without incriminating yourself or doing something stupid. Um, Obviously, tensions are super high in an environment like that. You're liable to say or do anything. But we know the society that we live in, words you say, even if they're taken out of context, can be used against you. So um, they train law enforcement in body cam narration. That's something they can do for you. So if you know somebody in law enforcement, have them consider reaching out to Cardinal and see if they have something that they could benefit from. I don't think it would be a waste of your time. And uh, you guys know as well, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Very proud members there. It's a great place. You can go subscribe on uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Many of them are on YouTube as well. But um, one, you know, subscription to Uh, get access to 50 to 60 good Christian podcasts here talking on a whole range of topics. So if you're looking for, you know, something different than, I don't know, NPR and CNN, you know, Michelle Obama's podcast being pushed to you from Spotify, well, go give Christian podcast community a look and I think you'll find something there you like. And then lastly, the shameless plug, if you guys want to help us, the Religionless Christian Christianity Podcast. I can say our own podcast name. Um, The easiest way to do that is to just drop a like, subscribe, whatever platform you're on, YouTube, Rumble. If you're on the podcast, if it offers you to follow, subscribe, whatever it says, all of that helps us tremendously. And if you're on the podcast, consider leaving a review. Um, Those certainly help. And uh, if you got a little bit of extra uh, desire to help us, you can always support the show directly. We got links down in the show notes to affiliate links, uh, Amazon, Best Buy, ChristianBooks.com. And I think there's a buymeacoffee.com link down there. And if you want an even, uh, I guess, more direct way to support, well, not more direct than buy me a coffee, but still direct, um, we have our shirts up for sale. You can go 
to our website, which will be listed down in the show notes. And you can follow that over to um, our store here and you can pick up one of our shirts. You know, the uh, <laughs> the Revelation 21.8, Cowards Go to Hell. That's a good one. Um, the Isaiah, is that 53? He was pierced for our transgression. So you can go pick up a shirt. We get a small profit from those, not much, a couple bucks, but that's about it. But it all helps. And more than the monetary um, assistance, it just lets us know that people are listening and they care. That's even more important. All righty then. I don't think we need the music this week because we're just talking about Christian living and the news was generally all right. So we're going to forego the music this week and we're just going to get into our discussions here. So as Nikki mentioned in the open there, we wanted to, you know, we've been talking about AI and this sort of stuff the last couple of weeks, and that may not be everybody's cup of tea. So yeah. we wanted to get back into a little more Christian living, if you will. Your day-to-day struggles, maybe. AI yeah. is not quite in our face. The Terminator is not here yet. <laughs> He's coming. He's not here yet. But we yeah. do have lives we've got to live every day um, as best we can. So that's what we want to discuss today. And we want to look at an article that we read from the Christian Post um, discussing basically cheating and adultery in this sort of modern technological society, right? What does it look like? And, you know, how can Christians address these issues? So um, this article was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot to go through on this. So if you want to just go ahead and read the headline, honey, and then... We'll just start rolling through this as we normally do. Just going to be pulling out paragraphs and discussing Mm -hmm. what we read there. It says, How sexting destroyed a young megachurch pastor's marriage and ministry. In a presentation at the Bob Russell Ministries Mentoring Retreat, Patrick uh, Garcia, a former lead pastor at the 7,000-member Crossroads Christian Church and the Hills Church in Indiana compared his fallout of ministry to a distracted truck driver involved in a deadly crash. In October 2020, two years after his controversial firing from Crossroads Christian Church over philosophical differences, the young pastor, who went on to start and lead the Hills Church with former Crossroads leaders, resigned from that role after confessing to a months-long affair with a woman who was not his wife. Yep. And in this article here, um, Garcia goes on, he says, I wanted to inform you, this is to his church, I think the Hill Church, Mm -hmm. I wanted to inform you that I'm resigning from my position as the lead pastor at the Hills Church. Garcia, now 35, said in a statement, Yeah, said in a statement released by the church at the time. And we're going to get into the cheating aspect of this story here first, but I did want to address just a few other points that stood out to me as I was reading through this. Um, So the first one is, I'm not a fan of this. (laughs) Um, This uh, statement released by the church at the time, uh, because this speaks of cowardice to me. You know, I've never been in the position of a lead pastor of some, you know, big church, whatever it happens to be. But I still feel like you should stand and face the music in a position like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you should face your congregation. You should let them know your shortcomings and your failings. You know, being a pastor isn't all about 
um, just being this, you know, shiny pseudo righteous object mm-hmm. off in the distance for them to, you know, praise and worship you. You're a real person. And when you really fall, they should know about that because it's important. Um, and I think just releasing a statement and then like skirting out the back door, uh, it just feels like taking the easy way out in mm-hmm. a sense. I was thinking how our, our Bible topic today goes very well with this story. Oh, it's a perfect, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes divine providence just shows its face. But, uh, you know, and you may be of the mindset, you know, that, well, you know, his repentance is to be made to God alone, right? It's David, you know, against you only have I sinned, Lord. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, right? Mm-hmm. He he sinned against God, ultimately. God is the the holy and righteous one. He's the one we repent to because he's the one we ultimately sin against. Um, but again, I believe if you're a pastor, you're a spiritual leader um, mm-hmm. for a group of people, you should look them in the eye and you should let them know when you've let them down. Um I don't think that's too tall of an order for these people. I think um, just reminding people that he's um, tempted just like they are because people do put pastors on a pedestal and then when they fall, they fall away from the faith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know we've talked about that before, but yeah, he needs to, like you said, just face them. Well, and there's still such a, wonderful lesson to be taught here. Um, You know, what it looks like to adhere to scripture, even in the difficult times, you stand before him and go, look, guys, we all know what first Timothy says, I'm unqualified to be your leader. And it pains me to say that. Yeah, but I'm stepping down. Because I'm sure there's many who were like, well, we forgive you, like the pastor at the church we used to go to, they were like, let's just forgive him and he can stay. And Sure, well, and many that's what's would have interesting. Said that. If you read this article, all the notes that we have, the links and stuff will be in the description. You can go read them for yourself. But like the first half of this article is about his cheating affair. And then it gets into like a second half where it looks at this, you know, kind of a plague of mega church pastors cheating There's and being adulterous. But worse stories than this one. There's some crazy ones. Certainly worse. But what uh-huh. you see in there is a lot of the congregation going, well, we forgive the guy. And, and they like, applaud the oh, pastor with for us. his um, just coming out with it and asking for forgiveness. They applaud him like, no. Yeah. So you still have an opportunity to teach and lead and guide your people by showing that you're first off human you make mistakes. But secondly, what it looks like to be a follower of God and submit to his word, even against your own will. You know, that's what we tell our kids all the time. What does it, you know, what does integrity mean? And you always hear the, oh, it's doing what's right when no one's looking. That's sure a decent definition, but I like to tell them it's doing what's right, even to your own detriment, right? And you stand and say, I'm not qualified to be your pastor anymore. It stinks, but tell them we're it's all going to follow God's word. For them to ask him to stay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to be gained by, you know, being human and showing people your faults and your failures um, and showing them that, you know, you can bounce back, you can be repentant and you can get back on the narrow road. But just sort of ducking out the back door with a, you know, a, a, a statement yeah. released, uh, just not a good look there. So, um, but he goes on in here, he says, Ashamedly, for the past 11 months, I've engaged in an inappropriate relationship, both physically and emotionally, 
The Bible makes it clear that one can't lead a church while abdicating his first responsibility of leading the home. My family, especially my wife, Savannah, deserves better than the husband she's had over the past few years, he explained. The Hills Church deserves a leader of integrity who lives above reproach. And I just wanted to bring this point up here as well, that uh, I disagree with parts of this statement also, because he says in here, the Bible makes clear that one can't lead a church while abdicating his first responsibility of leading the home. Um, and I would say that one can't lead a church again after failing in the manner that he's failed, right? Because he didn't just fail to lead his home, as he explains in here, it's adultery. He's cheating on his wife. He's disqualified himself from the role of pastor. And um, I would say it would only be personal pride, really, that would think that, you know, you could lead again, that you could, you know, climb back into that position after a given time to lead a church again. I think only pride would tell you, well, I've paid some, you know, penance and now I'm back, baby. Like I'm here to be your spiritual yeah. leader again. I know a lot of people do believe that pastors should be restored to their position. Like we've read other articles where they just take a a long leave of, of absence or, you know, just counseling and then they can come back. Like that's a common, it's because like they don't know what else to do. Like they have a hard time getting a job anywhere else. Right. I certainly very difficult, right? You know, especially if you became a pastor at a young age, you might've went to seminary. That's a very niche career field and degree. Yeah. You've disqualified yourself. You're you no longer just, above reproach. Um, like stay humble for a while and be like, well, I need to just sit and learn. Well, I think it's just such a prideful thing to say like, well, no, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader That's of God's people. Gift. And That's you're like, think. well, no, you failed in that. You, you're not anymore. Well, no, I am. I'm I'm a pastor. I lead people. Nope. You yeah. felt like but you as like someone in that church, you would not feel comfortable going to him and asking advice in the area he recently fell in, especially like how long has it been since he's been restored back to that position? I wouldn't feel comfortable asking him if he went back to a pastorship. If he was right. just a guy who failed, stepped down, and then was just a, a good follower of Christ in the church, maybe even led a small group, something like that, then I would feel like, yeah, he's a guy you can learn from. He's, But if you're just, I fail, you know, I fail, failed, fell, sinned, all the disqualified myself, but doggone it, I'm a pastor. I'd be like, I don't trust this guy's judgment. I don't trust his grip on scripture. Um, seems like he's gripped by more sins than just the adultery and the lust. So yeah. I would... If he stepped away, I would probably seek his advice and counsel. If he didn't, nah, I'd probably be out there. Um, and I just think also if this is your mentality that, well, you know, while I'm in this mess, I can't be a pastor. But once I get it cleaned up, I'll be back. I think if that's your mentality, I think your view of like eldership, um, you know, being a pastor, whatever happens to be, or even your views of sin is probably too low uh, because you've disqualified yourself from that service. And if you love God... I would say you would go and humbly sit in the pews and you would find other ways to serve than saying, I'm a spiritual leader of these group, you know, this group of people. I think that's pride. Yeah. So, and then just uh, some additional thoughts here before we get to the meat of this article um, to discuss what it looks like to cheat in this modern age. Um, 
this article, I think, highlights very well the uh, need for us to pay attention to the slippery slope. Um, that's a very important topic that needs to be discussed very often because the slippery slope exists in all areas of our life, not just lust and adultery, but, you know, greed and wrath and um, covetousness, all different areas. It's a slippery slope. You know, very few people just go from, you know, uh, never bet on a football game in my life to, you know, the next day I'm putting them, you know, deed to my house <laughs> on a craps table. Like typically doesn't happen that quickly, right? It's a, a long, slow descent normally. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to be aware of that in all areas of our life, but especially adultery. I mean, those are some of the big ones, but it exists everywhere. I mean, even, you know, things as simple as getting out of shape and overweight and unhealthy. Those are kind of slippery slopes, right? I'm just going to take a week off from the gym and, you know, it's just a dessert here and there. And, you know, these sorts of things, they compound and compound and eventually, mm -hmm. oh man, I'm 50 pounds overweight, you know, and now it's a long, slow battle to get back, right? It's a I feel like we need slope. to insert parts of that chapter of the book right in here. Yeah, we should have. If I was smarter, <laughs> I would have. Um, all right, let's see where are we at here in this article with these first couple statements. All right, if you want to read these first couple uh, paragraphs here. He said, My affair was not a full-blown sexual affair. Yet because we weren't having sex, we never even kissed, I told myself the relationship with the other woman wasn't that wrong or as wrong as it could have been. Yeah. So he goes on, right. He talks about his affair here and it wasn't, you know, a sexual affair as he explains in this, it really wasn't even a physical affair. Um, but I think an important thing to note here, uh, as with kind of all affairs of this type, right. It takes two to tango. Um, you know, this other woman should not be absolved of her sins without repentance either. Now, we don't get her side of the story here because it's not about her. It's about Patrick necessarily. Um, but she should be repentant also and held to account for this affair just the same. She was a married woman, as he says. Um, and either party could have put an end to this affair whenever they wanted to. Um, so neither of them, you know, should be blame shifting or, you know, it's kind of like the whole uh, David and Bathsheba, you know, discussion. It's like, you know, all the, yeah. the women today, ah, David raped Bathsheba. She didn't do anything wrong. You're like, Bible doesn't say that, right? Like, yeah. it can it can be majority David's fault. He's the one the story focuses on. He's God's chosen king. Doesn't mean both of them don't have a burden to bear in that affair, right? And yeah. same thing here. It takes two to tango. Um, it took both of them to walk this road, as he explains. It wasn't, again, they didn't jump off a cliff. It was a slippery slope. Um, so they both can look at themselves in the mirror as the reason for this sort of sinful course of events. And that's typically the way it works, right? Um, you know, usually always, I guess, <laughs> because we're all guilty of our own sins at the end of the day. Um, you know, God doesn't make you sin. Uh, it's our own desires that cause us to sin and turn away from God. All right, next paragraph here. She was wise perceptive, intellectual, and respected in the community. Her kids were friends with our kids. Her husband was a friend of mine, somebody I respected. 
I valued her voice and so did others. But over time, I targeted her voice above others because she respected me and I was attracted to to her, he confessed. Yeah, nothing says I respect my good friend like an affair with his wife. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, this is, right, this is where we start seeing the slippery slope. This is where it begins here. And I thought about, you know, Mike Pence, because we kind of cracked, you know, or we were a little tough on Mike Pence last week, I think. But he was famously kind of uh, beat up early on in his vice presidency, because he talked about how he wouldn't be alone in a room with a woman that wasn't his wife. And, you know, he wouldn't go to meetings with them, dinners with them and stuff, unless his wife was there or somebody else was there. And he got in a bunch of hot water for that sort of stuff. Um, but that is an immensely wise decision Yes, it is um, for everybody, but especially a public figure, like mm-hmm. he was a governor and, you know, vice president, that sort of thing, but really smart decision for anybody to just be like, you know, even in the air force, I was a recruiter for a couple of years. And one of the things we always heard and got told a lot was like, you don't even like if I was recruiting a girl, I don't even walk her into the hotel. Don't even give the appearance that you might mm-hmm. do something. You just drop yeah. her off at the front door and bring somebody else with you in the car. Don't be alone with them. Just don't even put yourself in a position where you have to get out of a bad situation. Don't ever be in a bad situation. That's the best advice you can get, right? So yeah. I just thought about that. Be like yeah. Mike Pence in that. Just don't be alone with women. Um, it's not sexist. It's just... It's being smart, right. being wise. I mean, there's scripture that says avoid the appearance of sin. Yeah. And this same thing goes for women, right? You shouldn't be trying to spend time alone with men. And I mean, I get it. There's situations work maybe, you know, but just be cautious and, you know, uh, what you do. And because, you know, the slippery mm-hmm. slope gets everybody here. Um, and yeah. you don't want to give off that appearance, right? I mean... You never know. Yeah. I think women, I think just learning from this, but women know men like respect. And I think this woman knew what she was doing in being this voice for him. Like he targeted her voice. Like she knew she was flattering him. She probably idolized him. I'm sure a lot of women did, but she had a position where she got to work close with him and she just, I mean, she knew she had an advantage, I think. And I mean, it's a oh. shame they were like, you know, her husband was friends with him. And um, I'm sure their wives were friends. Their kids were friends. I mean, he says in there, right, that he liked it because she's, you know, I think he says in there that she's wise and perceptive and these sorts of things. So but I think women she must have known who he just, was. And- right. I just think women need to be cautious knowing that men like to be respected. Um, We need to be careful with our compliments and just be few with our words, even if we have good intentions. You know, I think we do need to just just have few words. That's all I mean. Like, no, I think so too. And you don't know again, how you're tempting or drawing. I would say the same thing goes for guys. Like, you don't have any reason to go to work with the girls and be like, oh, that dress looks great on you. Or I love what you do with your hair. Like, you don't have to say any of that. You yeah. can just say, hi, good morning, right? You don't even have to go down right. the, I like the way you look. I right. like the way you smell, any of that sort of stuff. Just 
good morning. How are you? How was your weekend? You don't know how that affects the ego and how someone else is going to take that, you know, just a friendly compliment. I demand all of my subordinates talk down to me and mock me endlessly. That's the only thing they're allowed to say to me just to keep me on point there. Um, But, you know, Nikki and I agree. I think we maybe even said this on our marriage episodes um, a while ago that um, we're kind of of the mindset that a husband and a wife should only have one male and one female friend. Like Nikki should be my only real female friend and I should be her only real male friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you can't have mutual friends, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. But like know. private conversations with other people. Yeah. Like the, yeah. you know, the Netflix sitcom where it's just the the male supermodel and the female supermodel that just hang out together and watch shows like that doesn't exist. Uh-uh. You don't need those kind of friendships. Your wife is your female friend. Your husband is your male friend. Everything else is mutual acquaintances or acquaintances at best, right? You don't need to be on long conversations with girls that aren't your wife. You don't need to be going out to dinners and movies with guys that aren't your husband. Even if it's work-related, that's how a lot of affairs start. It's who you work with. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we are fans of that. One female, one male friend, and it's your spouse. Um, So I think, as you can see here, like we said, this is where Patrick sort of gets on the slippery slope. Um, And I think it kind of starts as soon as he maybe determines that this woman is, in fact, his friend, not necessarily mutual friends or his husband or his friend's wife. No, they're friends. You know, they're the ones that are talking and chatting each other up here. So the slippery slope begins. Um, Do you want to read these next couple paragraphs? While taking responsibility for the actions that led to his resignation, Garcia admits to getting swept up by the other woman's company because she provided him with affirmation he was missing in his relationship with Savannah. Nobody is to blame for what I did besides me. A rocky marriage is never permission to look somewhere else or to someone else. I only bring this up to help you understand and cause you to pay attention to your wife, he shared. Yep. And I think this is a very good point by Patrick um, because he's kind of rightly recognizing, you know, that he was cheating on his wife again, even though he never had physical contact with this woman, um, you know, sexual physical contact. Emotional affair is a thing. It is. And I think that's why. One of the main reasons we want to discuss this story, because it's not uncommon to hear today. We even talked about Mike Todd, you know, not too long ago. Um, And he's one of those pastors, and there's many like him that will say that it's the act that's sinful. It's not the thought, it's the act that's uh, sinful. Um, And he was saying that in regards to homosexuality specifically, but that's simply not true. It's not just the act that's sinful. The act is sinful, but the thoughts are sinful also. Um, if your thoughts and your emotions or whatever aren't in line with God's commandments, they're sinful. <laughs> um, and this is why we're instructed in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to take every, co- uh, every thought captive. And um, let me see if I can pull this verse up here. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says, let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. It's the thoughts also that we need to take um, captive. We need to 
repent of when they come our way. You know, because if you're like Patrick here, baby, and you're longing to speak to a person that you're attracted to, um, because again, like Nikki said, they stroke, stroke your ego, they puff you up in pride, you're sinning. You're going there for that specific reason. Um, you know, it's no different than if a girl maybe she's a married girl, right? But she gets dressed up, maybe really sort of sultry to go out to a club with her friends um, because she knows that guys are going to notice her. Uh, maybe they'll flirt with her a little bit. She knows she's not going to do anything. She's not going to cheat on her husband. She just likes the attention and it makes her feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, guys are the same rate, way, right? Like maybe you're at the gym and you know, you cut out all of your shirt, you know, just so that maybe a girl will look your way when you're doing bicep curls. Um, FYI, they don't care because they're hoping you look at them. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody only cares about themselves, but it's the same sort of thing, right? Um, And it made me think also, we talked about Matt Chandler not too long ago, where he got asked to sort of step back from his pastoring role at his church over um, inappropriate messaging, I think, mm-hmm. with a wife um, of yeah. fr- friendly uh, couple that him and his wife knew, but apparently they never really told us what the messaging was about, just that it was inappropriate. And it makes me think, was it something like this? He was getting some sort of, mm-hmm. um, he was being puffed up by her sort of responses to him, or I don't know what it was, but you know, maybe just kind of speculating, could it have been something like this? He went to her for specific responses because they made him feel good the way mm-hmm. that, you know, she sort of admired him. Who knows? Just speculating. All right, let's press on. He remembers, though, the exact moment when he started to stray from his marriage and got hooked It was a Thursday afternoon, and the other woman and I were talking on the phone when she told me, I'm so impressed by you. I think you're mesmerizing. I have a crush on you. Woo! That's bold. Bold. Like, that's a pastor. (laughs) I mean, certainly. So, and again, going back to, like, this girl is wrong. She's sinning and should have recognized this, but... For Patrick, like, you should have had warning sirens going off, bells ringing in your head, like, run away from here, throw your phone in a lake, (laughs) sort of uh, signals going off in here, right? The uh, first Corinthians, you know, that bell going off in your brain, just flee sexual immorality. (laughs) I'm here now. I need to flee. Um, That's what should have been going off in his brain, but it wasn't what was going off in his brain. Um, So he says what was going off in his brain. Do you want to read this one just a little bit further down this story? Being the people pleaser I am, I knew she felt awkward telling me that. Here she was being vulnerable with me, and I appreciated it, he recalled. So to relieve her anxiety and reveal my cards, I said back to her, well, I think the same. I've had a crush on you for about three years now. Is that what being a people pleaser means? Like, well, I don't want to disappoint you, so I'll cheat on my wife. But he went a bit further (laughs) saying, three years I've had a crush on you. Like, right. And you, (sighs) this makes you think, right? This is James uh, 1 14 through 15. Let's pull this up. You guys are familiar with the verse. Um, But each one 
is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Um, that is Patrick to a T, right? His lustful temptation was conceived and given birth over a three-year period. Um, then he allowed that sin to run its course, and it brought about the death of his marriage and his ministry in the process. Um, this is why you take your thoughts captive. Um, maybe you're a people pleaser, and somebody says this to you, and you go, well, you know what? I appreciate that. I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> we can't, or just be, as we're going to talk later, just be like blunt and awkward. Uh, don't ever say that to me again. <laughs> I'm a married man. Don't talk to me that way. Don't entice me that way. I mean, she needs to be. She, she should have been felt, scolded. Yeah. And she should have gotten church discipline like for this. He is supposed to be her shepherd, right? Yeah. And for her husband. So, I mean, this is a perfect example of you should have given no room to sin. Um, right. Like the whole part, like, lead me not into temptation. Um, God didn't lead him to that. He led himself there. So, like, people lead themselves to be tempted. They like the they like the temptation, but they think they're in control and they're not going to give in. Yeah. I mean, he, he was there in that conversation because he wanted to be. He right. wasn't tricked into it. This is why um, you just don't. Like, especially these megachurch pastors, they know people idolize them. They should just, yeah. no, I don't work alone with women. I don't talk on the phone. I don't email women. Like, no, no personal conversations. I'm curious what sort of, um, you know, sort of like contract or whatever you might sign as a church pastor in a, especially a church like that. I wonder if there's any sort of, um, you know. Like some guidelines. Guidelines for stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, again, ultimately it wouldn't have mattered. He wanted this, so he would have done it anyways. But to really just sort of put some guardrails around these pastors, because yeah, I mean, he's a 30-year-old. I think the Crossroad Church was like a 3,500 member church. So yeah, you're like this young, hot shot man of God. Like, yeah, people would idolize you or women may, you know, really be enticed by you. Um, you got to have guardrails around that, not to mention yeah. you're married. And you said the quote before, I don't know if you got it from somewhere else, that familiarity breeds affection. I most certainly came up with that on my own. Who said it? Who said it? Probably somebody you far smarter me and more godly than I. But <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. Familiarity breeds affection. Um, I mean, so yeah, the closer you get with people, um, which is why I think you know it's fine to have mutual friends, family friends, and stuff. But like, they're family friends. Um, you don't get together the husband with the wife because eh, we're mutual friends. No. You get together when the husband and the wife are together, that sort of thing. Like you don't become overly familiar with somebody. Um, but I mean, that's why, right? Most of the people that get in couples and relationships with people are their friends first. That's the way that they meet. I mean, now we're in the Tinder age where you just swipe right until I don't know what happens. But traditionally, right? You meet people, you become friends with them. And over time, you build up a relationship with them. Um, that's typically the way it works. So I think that makes sense. That's why you need to build distance between yourself and these other people. You only have one female friend and it's your wife. <laughs> Let that familiarity sort of enhance your affections for each other. 
maybe. Yep. Right. Um, but one thing I want to do just kind of as a aside here, I want to highlight the elders from this church. I, I'm assuming it's the Hills Church, maybe, um, the elders of the Hills Church, because they show you what I think godly accountability looks like. And I think they deserve to be highlighted here. We don't have names of the elders, but if you know the elders at the Hills Church, they sound like godly men. So it says right here, about six months into his emotional affair with the church advisor, Garcia said he received a call from an, from an executive pastor at the Hills late one night. That executive pastor would later reveal in the presence of another executive pastor that a police officer had reported that Garcia and the female board member were caught together in a car in an off-limits parking lot. Um, and then, yeah, it goes on down here a little bit later. It says the pastor who confronted Garcia about the police report would later call Savannah, this is Patrick's wife, to verify that her husband had told her about what happened. Savannah took their children the next day and went to her parents. So he didn't tell her about it. He like she uh, found out because the elders called. Is that no? I think he did uh, tell her about it, but the the elder was just following up to make sure that he had told her. So maybe he oh, talked gotcha. to Patrick okay. on the phone and was like, "Hey, brother, you better tell your wife what happened." And then he was just following up to make sure that he did. Um, and it says in here one last thing. It says, she told them everything as I'm sure it raised more flags. I think this is Savannah talking to the pastors. The executive pastor called my former father-in-law to make sure he knew. They also talked to the two most influential people in my life, Bob and my oldest sister's husband, Matt. I'm ashamed to say I wasn't fully honest with either of them, Garcia said. Man, thank goodness for this elder. Because he saw that something was amiss with Patrick. Patrick tried to lie to him. That's what he tells him in the story. He tried to brush the story off. Ah, you know, we were just exchanging a book. It was no big deal. And the executive pastor was like, nah, man. You don't man. need to be alone in the same car together to exchange a book. Right. So he, you know. Yeah, he, he knew he was just lying. Knew something was going wrong. Um, and he refused to let him slide and lie about living in sin. And this is an immensely difficult position to be in. I would imagine. I've never been in this position, but a lead pastor of your church, um, and you're having to call him out and really, you know, go to his closest friends and family members and be like, I'm worried about this guy. He's sinning. Um, very difficult position. I'm sure that this elder wrestled a lot with this before making these phone calls. Mm. Um, but in doing this difficult but right thing, I would say, he may have saved a brother's soul. Right. And if you guys are, you know, remember James chapter five, uh, verse 19 and 20. Uh, it says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Um, very very godly thing this pastor did, in my opinion. He and what's did it frustrating before it got worse. Yeah, as soon as he noticed something was wrong. And what's right. frustrating is you'll hear a lot, especially in today's society, right? That um you shouldn't go and like, you know, call people out in their sins. Who are you to judge, right? Um, well, if that was the mentality with this pastor, this may have actually extended into a physical relationship. Mm-hmm. But because he stepped in when he did, 
living the James five, you know, model here of calling a brother out, bringing him back. He very well could have saved his soul. So don't buy into that nonsense of like, judge yeah. not lest ye be judged. Right. And who are you to say what? Well, I have a Bible, right? Yeah. And I know what sin is. I also have this, you know, uh, instruction from James. So if I see a brother sinning or it looks like sin, you know, I think I can't think of the verse right now, but it talks about don't let your foot turn to the left or the right. Basically, if you're, that narrow path is narrow. As soon as your foot veers to the right, you better hope you have an executive pastor there to grab you by the neck. Get back on this narrow path. Yeah, it's a good thing that he cared more for his soul than his position at the church. Yeah. I mean, it was just so, like, you can just, he was lying. Like, if you're exchanging a book, you meet in a public place, not in a secluded parking lot. Like, right. it was obvious. Like, they were like, mm. and there were probably other clues. Like, the wife was probably already suspicious for her to just take the kids and go. Like, this isn't her first time, probably, like, this probably confirmed her own suspicions. No, I'm sure she was, because he talks in this article about how when it all basically unraveled, uh, he there was a time he, like, gave his wife his phone. She asked for something. He gave his wife his phone. And she basically, as soon as she got her his phone, she just, like, drove straight to the church and had the elders basically download mm -hmm. every text, Facebook message, everything that he's exchanged with this girl and just read it all. So he know. couldn't go back and, like, delete it later. It was... But I'm yeah. sure there were clues as well. Right. And again, this is that whole... There's no reason to be alone with someone of the opposite sex that isn't your wife. There would be no reason. I mean, again, I'm not saying a blanket statement. There may be a work situation, but boy, you better tread lightly. Um, you better not be going to isolated parking lots, right? Like, And then your position as well. You are a pastor, right? You must be aware of appearances. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, this isn't just a garbage truck driver and his coworker for the day is a female garbage truck, you know, or garbage worker. I'm, forgive me, garbage workers. I'm not <laughs> doing you justice. You are a vital member of society. But sure, you got put together. Not much you can do about it. You got to run the route, right? Um, this is not that. And this is what we need to be careful of. So, um, but if you guys remember, again, that Matt Chandler story we talked about, the elders there, they're the ones who called Matt Chandler to step back and seek help. Uh, Matt Chandler was not forthright and willing to step back. He, From what I remember, he sort of pushed back on it. Um, and these elders caught a lot of grief, even from the church members, because they love Matt Chandler. And they caught grief for being like these, you know, mean, you know, they don't really understand. They're too rigid, these elders. But if it's a case like this, then it's they absolutely soul did the right at thing. stake. You can't be too rigid. Yeah. I mean, because I would be willing to bet this pastor caught grief as well um, for asking Garcia to maybe step aside or exposing this sort of stuff. I'm sure it wasn't all easy and, you know, people fawning all over him for being a godly man. They're probably upset, I would imagine. Um, but again, he saw the foot going to the right or the left, and he intervened as he should and as we all should. We should all pray to have that courage. Again, we talked before about our shirt there, uh, Revelation 21.8, cowards go to hell. You don't want to be a coward when it comes to your faith, um, because that is no faith whatsoever. Um, yeah, so 
he talks, like I mentioned in here, um, he explains how his wife gets his phone. She, you know, they download all that sort of stuff, all the communications. And as soon as she does that, she goes and files for divorce, basically very shortly after that. Um, so you read through the story and like you mentioned, not even a single kiss was exchanged between this pastor, pastor Patrick Garcia and this woman. And yet it was adultery through and through. Uh, this is, I mean, to a T, what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Um, let me see if I can pull that verse up here. Matthew 5, verse 28. You guys know this verse. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Patrick to a T there. So, So he told her on the phone, I've had a crush on you for three years. So he's saying... I've committed adultery with you in my heart for three years. Yeah, basically. I mean, I've been fawning or, you know, desiring you for three years. And um, then it breaks into a more serious form where they're actually becoming emotionally bonded to each other, if you will. Um, This is a really long article. Again, this is only like the first half that we've covered here. Um, Definitely go read about some of the other things that have happened. I mean, they talk about Carl Lentz in there. We've talked about Carl Lentz before. Uh, But so why is this important to Christians that we're discussing this? And I think it's important because, you know, the moment that we believe that a particular sin, you know, in this case, adultery or lust, but it's really true of any sin, right? The moment we believe that it isn't a sin that we have to worry about necessarily, or that we don't really need to be on guard with, it's really the moment that we begin to put ourselves uh, in the danger of falling victim to that sin. You know, we're almost walking to that slippery slope as soon as we start thinking, I don't really deal with adultery or lust that much. I got that one beat. I don't drink that much. I don't really need to worry about alcohol. I'm not a gambler. I, I don't, I'm not, you know, addicted to that. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Sin is always a big deal. You think you got a hold on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you may personally, you know, understand the severity of adultery, um, you know, but maybe, again, you haven't given into that, but do you feel the same way about gossip? Is that something you need to be on guard about, being a gossip there? Um, do you guard yourself against envy? That could be something that gets you. Um, you know, young folks, are you concerned? Again, we mentioned drunkenness. Are the young folks concerned with drunkenness? I know I'm just turning 21. I just want to have a good time. Are you concerned with that slippery slope? I mean, most of those probably homeless drug addicts were young teens just looking for a good time at one point. And now here they are all these years later, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be on guard against all sin all the time. If you're not on guard against sin, you think too little of sin. And you probably don't think enough of God, um, if that's your view of sin. Um, And, you know, also... The more you're on guard against sin, the more likely you are to sort of notice it in somebody else as well and uh, maybe bring them back from the brink of that slippery slope. Um, but also, as Nikki kind of alluded to earlier with pride, I think this whole story speaks of pride. And, you know, it seems very fitting that as we're just getting out of Pride Month, you know, we on our YouTube channel at least spoke for 30 days straight on the sin of pride, which is no small feat. Uh, it was not easy, but, you know, Patrick, as we read about him here and all through this story, right, he sounds like a man that pride has sunk its claws into, right? We talked about he's this young mega church pastor, 
big church. He's in his maybe early 30s, late 20s. You know, people listen to Patrick. They respect him. But then he talks in here also about how he has this rocky relationship with his wife. So maybe there's a sense of like, how dare my wife, Savannah, not respect me? Look at all these people who respect me. Look at all these people who think I'm great. How dare she not think I'm great? Right. So if his love or if his wife isn't going to give him the love and respect that he is sure that he's due, well, there's other women that will. There's these beautiful, wise, whimsical women that I work with. They're sure to give me the respect that I deserve because that's what he said. Right. I went to her because she admired me, made me feel good. My wife wasn't admiring me, probably because she knew who you were. (laughs) But these other women don't. And they'll they'll give you, you know, that stroke on your ego that you're looking for. Um, so that's just the sense that I got reading through this, right? His wife wouldn't respect him. So he found a woman, um, that did admire him, did respect him. Uh, she fed his pride and I would be willing to guess that this isn't uncommon amongst mega church pastors, especially the very young ones. You know, it's not like, you know, I've never heard a story to Rick Warren's credit about anything he did in this realm. But, you know, he also started a church as a very young man with nobody, and he built it from the ground up, you know, it grew along with him, whereas, you know, I doubt Patrick built Crossroads. He just walked into, I'm a pastor now at this big old church, right? Look at me. Yeah. He didn't build anything. Um, So I would be shocked if this wasn't a very common occurrence in young megachurch pastors. Um, And I would just my personal feeling, many of these men are probably in positions they don't need to be in. Uh, I'm a person, I mean, outside of the random Charles Spurgeon types that come along once in a generation, your pastors should be old seasoned men um, that have lived a life of ups and downs. They've learned lessons. They've fought battles. You know, we talked to you guys before about the, uh, the young youth pastor that we had at a church we went to. He was 21 years old youth pastor. And he was up there on a Sunday. I think they let him preach. And he was talking about how he, you know, used to be addicted to porn and he fought the battle and beat it. And I was just laughing at Nikki. I'm like, he ain't beat anything yet. Like you're just getting into this fight, man. But now if you're 65, you might have a claim to be like, boy, did it ravage me for years. It ravaged me, you know, whatever it happens to be. But it's like you're 21, man. You know, and that's why First Timothy tells us you shouldn't be young in the faith um, if you're going to be a leader of a church. And I still consider 30 young. You know, maybe some people don't. The older I get, the older I consider young. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When you're 18, 30 seems old. When you're 50, 30-year-olds are whippersnappers, basically. So, um, you know, Patrick's in his 30. He's supposed to be this spiritual leader for 3,000 people. I mean, that just has to go to your head, yeah, I would imagine. Did. I mean, even looking back, Moses didn't even get called till he was 80 <laughs> to go and lead Israel, right? So um, I just think that mega churches are a breeding ground for pride. Yeah. Not dismissing all mega churches, but I just think they're very difficult places to navigate. It takes a very special person. Yeah. To, um, yeah. So, yeah, I would tell you, pray that you, you know, would be humbled by God. I think that's a good prayer to pray on a routine basis. So what should we do about it as Christians? What should we do about this story that we're reading? 
Um, I think we need to take stock of our own lives, you know, and see what slippery slopes that we're walking on. We're all walking on some probably, you know, but especially Mm -hmm. in marriage, because he was right there. That is our first ministry. If you're married, you have kids, that is your first ministry. Your mega church is less important than your family. That needs to be first and foremost. Um, You know, and like we said before, we can do something about that. Nikki and I, you know, we don't believe you should be having friends of the opposite gender. Um, and it sounds unfair, but also, and maybe even more so, really attractive ones. It's not their fault if they're really attractive. Um, there's nothing you can do about being around attractive people. There's nothing you can do about even enjoying the way a person looks. That's just the way it is, right? But you don't have to get super close to them. You can affect that and you can take those thoughts captive. You can pray and repent for those thoughts and that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, if your wife's best friend is a supermodel, maybe be extra cautious around that one. Just common sense there, I think. Um, but again, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have shared friends and all that sort of stuff, but shared friends are shared friends, right? When you're mm-hmm. together as a couple, you hang out with the friends. Outside of that, I would say, man, keep distance. And, um, you know, if you've... If you're married, then you have your one friend of an opposite sex. That's the safe uh, mentality to have there. Um, And some may hear this and say it's extreme. We've had people say that before. It's extreme. You can have, you know, friends of the opposite sex and, you know, it's your life, but you just need to be reminded that the wages of sin are death. That's what God tells us, Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, if you think being separate from, you know, keeping your distance from the opposite sex is extreme, sins leading to death is an extreme, right? Like nothing's more extreme than eternal separation from God because of your sinful lifestyles. Um, So if sin is extreme, we need to use extreme measures to stay away from it um, and live a life that's pleasing to God because we never just slip and fall into sin. That's not the way it works. We willingly walk into sin. That's the way it works every time. You know, it's our desires that lead mm-hmm. us into sin. So Everyone desires. Yep. You might say, well, I slipped and fell into sin. Like you were in the casino. Why were you in a casino? If you, you know, you didn't, you wouldn't have gambled if you weren't in the casino, right? Like you put your place, you put yourself in the place of temptation. Yeah. So you walk into sin every time. The only way to avoid walking into it is to be aware of it and steer clear of it. Don't let your foot go to the right or the left. Um, So I think we should be extreme. Our country has gotten way too lax about what sin is. Even the Christian church in this country has Mm -hmm. gotten way too lax about just being comfortable with sin. We should not be comfortable with sin. Um, So how should we pray about it? You know, I think the first thing we should be doing is praying that we would love righteousness. I think that's something that doesn't get prayed enough. You know, read through Psalm 119. Pray that you would love God's word. You would love his law. You would love his righteousness. Um, And I think that's a prayer that God would answer. You know, um, if you ask anything according to, um, you know, what's that verse say? According to his will. Yeah, according to his will, you know, God will hear you and he'll answer that. So I think... Praying to live righteously is a prayer God will answer. It's his will that we be holy and that we be humble. Like we need God to do that work in us because we can't we can't strive to be humble or no. 
That's something we ask him for. Those are the good gifts that God gives to his children. (laughs) Yeah. So that's first and foremost, pray that you would desire righteousness. And, you know, a lot of the discussion in American church today, you see it all over the internet and, you know, these progressive Christians is that, well, Jesus loves sinners. You know, that's the, the number one call of a Christian today. And of course, right. Jesus died for sinners. None of that's untrue. Um, that's the message that was probably promoted more than any during Pride Month, if you guys were following it. Um, but God loves righteousness. You know, he died for sinners, but he loves righteousness. Um, and Christ died so that we could be recipients of his righteousness because we have none on our own. Um, so he didn't just die for you because he felt like dying. You know, he did it for a purpose, and that purpose is to impart his righteousness yep. onto us. Um, And the Holy Spirit gives us that righteousness so that we can, you know, begin to actually live righteously in a sanctified life before God. Um, So we need to be people that habitually pray that we would love righteousness, but it's also worthwhile to pray that you would hate sin the way God hates sin, because God hates sin. (laughs) He hates sin. And this isn't a case of, you know, God loves this, you know, hates the sin, but loves the sinner. No, God throws sinners in hell. That's where they go. Sin doesn't go to hell. (laughs) The sinner goes to hell. So you need to learn and ask God to teach you to hate sin and love righteousness. That's the prayers that need to be prayed. So, um, so I'm curious what you guys think about this. Um, you know, was this adultery or not? When you read this story, do you think Patrick Garcia was right? Do you think we're right? Are we too extreme? Right. Even did the elders act appropriately here, or do you think they went too far? I'd be curious to know what you guys think. Did you think the wife acted appropriately? You know, took his cell phone, printed out all his messages, divorced him immediately, basically? if we base it off of just what we're told, we don't know what their marriage was like, why it was rocky, you know? Well, no, I'm sure, again, it was probably bad for a while, but I'd like to know what you guys think. Should she have acted differently? Did she go too far? I think those are interesting discussions to have. Um, also, if you're of the Mike Todd mindset, you know, that only the action is sinful, then how would you handle a situation like this? How would you read Matthew 25 or Matthew 5, 28, and then see a situation like this and claim that it's not adultery um, or that the wife and the elders acted inappropriately and they overreacted, whatever happens to be. Um, you know, and also, I guess if you do agree with us that this is an adulterous relationship, I'm curious where you would think the adultery actually started. Where did this start in the whole relationship? Because again, this is instructive for us because I would say he, like Nikki said, he was sinning for the previous three years as he was desiring this other woman. I think that was where the sins really started. Um, you know, he was interested in her, but then you know, that may have been the sin of lust, I guess, necessarily. And maybe it crosses into adultery as soon as he sort of voiced that crush for her on the phone. And they began to sort of explore this relationship that they had. Um, and again, you know, we're focused mostly on the pastor here. Um, but the woman, again, is just as guilty for mm-hmm. this adulterous affair. She had a husband as well. We don't know mm-hmm. what happened to her and that husband. Um, But she bears the burden of ruining at least this family. That's on her as well. So, um, 
just love to hear what you guys have to say about this in the comments. Send us an email. We'll have our email down in the show notes because, you know, these are our thoughts. And again, we've said this a bunch of times. We're not pastors, theologians. But when I read the story, this is what I think. So I'd love to know if you guys think I'm off base. I think we're pretty open to taking constructive criticism here. But my last question on this um, is how do you, well, not my last question, my last statement really, I guess, is looking at like, how do we avoid finding ourselves in these situations? Because it's easy to read a story and go, whoo, man, that dude, what a crazy story, right? But we're all human. You know, we're all sinners. We're all liable to slip and fall. So it's not like a, let's make fun of Patrick because he fell in this situation. It's instructive going, boy, you know, I could find myself in a situation like that if I'm not careful. So, you know, I'll just speak for my situation because again, I'm in the military um, and I've worked with attractive women throughout my career. Um, And specifically in the military, I've deployed with attractive women, right? You get sent overseas for four to six months and it's not an uncommon thing for marriages to end when a husband or a wife gets deployed both the person deployed doing something they shouldn't be doing and the person who stays behind doing something they shouldn't be doing. Not uncommon at all. Right. Um, and you know, it's not like I just lock myself in a room, you know, I have friendly interactions with these people. Some of them are my bosses. Some are my, you know, coworkers or subordinates, right? You have to have some sort of relationship with them. Um, and I would imagine your work environment is not much different than mine. Um, and even for women, it's the same thing, right? Attractive, you know, funny, engaging people that you work with. It's commonplace. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned before, right? We have married friends. We just had when we told you guys stayed at our house, right? Um, it's not uncommon there. So um, I would say just in my opinion, first and foremost, <laughs> be close to God, you know, as best you can. Again, praying that you would love righteousness and you would hate sin so that you would always be aware of it. Because I think the more you pray that, the more you're staying in the word, praying that you would hate sin, that I think the more you'll be cognizant of sin. You know, I think a lot of times people fail to see the sins that they're actually committing. They know the big ones, and we're going to talk about that in our Bible topic, but they see the big ones, they know the big ones, but they fail to see the lesser ones or the sort of, you know, the birth of sins, you know, they don't recognize it necessarily and put Mm -hmm. a stop to it when it's just beginning to take root like they should. But I think if you're staying close to God, reading the word and praying about this, I think you're more likely to see those roots starting to, you know, take hold and start ripping those out um, early on. Um, I would say this is, it's also important that you have godly friends uh, because then you would know that they have the same desires you do. You know, if you're hanging out with people that are far from God, they're atheists, whatever, then they would have, they really have no logical reason to not destroy your marriage Mm -hmm. or to not just give into their own impulses. But if you have godly friends, again, it's nothing's foolproof, right? But you can at least feel more confident that Mm -hmm. they also want to live a life that's pleasing to God. So that's building in some buffer area and some guardrails there for you, um, And lastly, Nikki was kind of laughing at me about this one, but I said, I think you should be awkward um, and you should be weird around members of the other sex, you know? Um, And what I mean by that is like, don't try to be so comfortable or so cool with people um, because that can give off an air of interest. You know, if you're 
cool, you know, just, yeah, I don't know, trying to do too much, be too comfortable around them, whatever you can maybe give off an air of interest and we should be avoiding that. So, you know, be weird, avoid conversations, you know, if, um, try not to be alone with them. If that's, you know, your work environment, just come out and say it, right? Like, eh, I don't think we should have the door closed. Let's just keep the door open. That's weird to say, who cares? Be weird. Nothing says you have to be like Joe cool that everybody likes and like, no, be Joe righteous. <laughs> that's the one you should try to like, if a conversation starts trending in the wrong direction, just end the conversation. Don't get involved in it. Like one that came to my mind is, you know, I work with a lot of young people. They're in their early twenties. Not uncommon to hear them talking about dating and this sort of stuff. Guys and girls don't even involve yourself in that conversation. Just stay quiet, leave the room. If they ask your opinion, just say, I don't have an opinion on that. Just, I'm not even going to be talking about anything that's remotely surrounding, orbiting a relationship with somebody. I think that's really wise. I mean, don't give them advice. Like, don't chime in. Yeah. And again, every situation is different, right? If a girl comes to you and my husband's cheating on me, I need help. Maybe. Okay. Right. Let's go and talk to somebody. I'll help you find somebody to talk to or, you know, just be cautious, right? Yeah, That's as all a I'm pastor, saying. Yeah, I'm sure they have that happen a lot. Like, no, nope, you will talk to the woman. Well, and if you're yeah. a pastor, for sure. I mean, anytime you have one of them, I never have a closed door meeting. I, I would have a female leader yeah. with you in the church, you know, in that room or something to that effect. But yes. like, be awkward. It's okay. It's okay if people go, man, that dude is weird. Like, he just says things that are goofy or like he he's not easy to have a conversation with. Good. Don't, I don't, I mean, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with being awkward. So um, do you have any thoughts on something we can do or try and uh, avoid falling into these trappings? I don't know. Just for me, I clean houses and sometimes it's just the husband and his kids there. And the husband's like working in his office, but it's still, it is kind of awkward. You know, right. it's I mean, like, nothing that's, foolproof, a, that's right? a weird, yeah, I, you just have to be, I don't know, like I, I could have a moment where I need to be awkward. <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, I would definitely, if, you know. And we've had those moments. We've had those talks about guys that are awkward or weird. And like, I'm not cleaning for you anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also this is where, because some of these are unavoidable. But if you're doing the first two, right, you're staying close to God. You're praying that you you know love righteousness, hate sin. You're working or hanging out with godly people as well. Then again, you're less likely to fall. Into, again, not perfect because Patrick was a pastor working with this woman who worked in the church as well. It's not foolproof, right? But you're building in guardrails. Um, so if you find yourself in those different, you know, situations, you know, hopefully you're aware of it and you're trying to avoid it. Now you're being awkward. You're not being like, you know, let's sit on the couch and giggle and joke so that we're, you know, you think I'm cool. Like, yeah. I don't care if you think I'm cool. Fire me. What does it make a difference, right? <laughs> um, so if you guys have advice... If you have techniques or tips, please leave them in the comments. We need all the help we can get as well. Um, nobody has this thing figured out. I mean, the world throws sex and immorality at us 
every single day of our lives. So Mm -hmm. um, please help us with that as well. So we do have uh, the affirmative action case that we want to get to here. So, um, and we also have our Bible topic. So this might be a bit of a lengthy episode, but I think it's uh, good topics to discuss here. So do you want to read this headline here as we roll into our Supreme Court discussion? Supreme Court guts affirmative action in college admissions. The Supreme Court on Thursday dealt a major blow to affirmative action in higher education, striking down race-conscious admissions programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Yeah, um, pretty big story that happened this week. Uh, And, uh, you know, we'll just say this is something that Nikki and I are happy about. Um, I believe this is a good thing for the nation. And I understand that that's a divisive thing to say, no matter what side of the aisle you're on on this, it's divisive. But for us, uh, I think it's a good thing. You know, I think where there may or may not have been, you know, some need for affirmative action back in the 60s, right. you know, when racism was real and segregation existed, that sort of stuff, it was a real problem. It might have been necessary. I just don't believe that's the case today. You know, as we've, I think we've said this before, it's probably been a while. Um, so we might as well say it again. I don't believe racism is a real issue that needs to be dealt with in this nation um, by and large. You know, I think whatever, you know, we're dealing with in regards to racism or that sort of discussion, I think is being created and pushed on the American people more than just being like naturally homegrown. I think it's being forced Mm -hmm. on us and it's being forced on us by these same politicians that are claiming to be like the greatest warriors fighting against it. You know, they're the ones forcing us and creating this racist tension. And then they're going to be the ones that are fighting the problem that they created. Um, yep. You know, so here's another, you know, policy, right? Affirmative action that we're told, hey, you know what? You need to use racial discrimination to end racial discrimination. Like <laughs> we have to judge people by the color of their skins rather than the content of their character, basically, is what we're being told here. Um, now, and again, this isn't to say that there aren't people out there maybe even people listening that have dealt with racism in their life. I'm sure they they have. I'm not going to discount that. Racism exists. I just don't think that it's some widespread issue. Oh, every kind of sin exists. We can't pretend like one type of sin can just go away. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it's just a sin. We can't look at it as, as different that we can get rid of it. No. Yeah. I mean, so it certainly exists and people have dealt with it, of course. Right. But I don't think that this is a large issue that needs like every waking moment of our politicians' attention to solve. I don't, I think by and large, if they just left us alone, uh, we probably would see less racial tension. I know, that's true. Because they're driving it, the divide and conquer, right? I don't think minorities, and this is my, you know, affirmative action opinion, I don't think minorities need godless overseers to ensure their lives are meaningful and successful. I don't think that's the American way. I don't think that's the Christian way. Um, You know, I think like everybody else, I don't think minorities are any different. What they could really use is just government getting out of their way. I think that would be the biggest help for them. Because all the government politicians and these people seem to do 
is just lay roadblocks in front of people. And then they offer to help us over the roadblock so long as we vote the right way. <laughs> and you're like, why don't you just get rid of the roadblock? No, 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 no. It's You can't get rid of the roadblock. All you can do is vote for me and then I'll help you over the roadblock. Um, it's completely nonsense. I read this other article. I can't remember where it was. I don't think I have it pulled up here. So if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it might have been from Yahoo. Um, so forgive me for not having it. But it said, Thursday's ruling, so the affirmative action ruling, appeared to find unlawful most of the programs that elite universities use to try to preserve racial and ethnic diversity in their student bodies. A prospect that alarms education and civil rights groups who say that ending the use of race in admissions will exacerbate inequality for years to come. Many pointed to the public institutions that have struggled to enroll diverse freshman classes in nine states that have already banned the practice. And, you know, I don't know how this can be because we're already told that, you know, pretty much every day that this is the most unjust, unequal place in the world, most racist place in the world, you know, my, you know, minorities are held down in this nation. They're unable to achieve in this nation. We're told this every day. You know, so what is affirmative action actually accomplished in its nearly 60 years, right? Because if affirmative action was great and it's been working well for 60 years, then it shouldn't be an unequal, unjust, racist, oppressive right. place. And if it hasn't done anything in the past 60 years, then why would we continue to do it? It doesn't work, right? Mm. So you can't have it both ways. Um, but the problem is that, you know, being a liar and, you know, being a liar for a living and being a race hustler, which so many in this nation seem to be nowadays, um, you race hustle for your own benefit. You know, you sort of wind up in these conundrums. Like, you know, we need to have affirmative action to make sure that we deal with inequality. Well, affirmative action has been around for 60 plus years and America's the most unjust, unequal, you know, immoral place on the planet. Right. So what exactly is affirmative action done? I don't know what the what the stance is on that from like the L Sharptons of the world. Um, you know, but if you're an honest person, if you weren't a liar for a living, you'd actually have an argument to stand on. Right. You might be able to say, hey, you know what, because of affirmative action, minorities are gaining ground in this nation. You know, many of them are beginning to you know, make it, they're beginning to thrive. And if we end it, well, that could all stop. You know, you might have an argument mm -hmm. if that was your platform, but that's not their platform, right? Um, if your argument is a lie that America's unjust and racist, then Amer affirmative action hasn't done anything to change that. Right. It hasn't changed the fortune of minorities in their opinion, but oh, we can't get rid of it. Well, it doesn't work, Yeah, but we can't get rid of it. Does it work then? Well, no, of course not. So then what are we doing here, right? Uh, it's not an argument. It's just a lie, basically. And uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, I believe, uh, he wrote the majority opinion. And I think I pulled this. Oh, no, here it is. I think I got it from this article. Do you want to read this little bit here, honey? The Harvard and UNC admissions programs cannot be reconciled with the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause, Roberts wrote, referring to the provision of the 14th Amendment that bars the government from discriminating on the basis of race. And hasn't this seemed bizarre? I know it's always seemed bizarre to me, not that I spend a lot of time thinking about the 14th Amendment, right? But 
it bars discriminating on race, but we're allowed to discriminate on race when we call it affirmative action. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense here. Um, because to me, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong here. I understand that we're two of the whitest people you've ever met in your life, though, you know, either way, right? We're not the people that are allowed to speak on this, you know, but we're speaking on it because we have brains and, uh, you know, affirmative action has always seemed to me like the racism of lowered expectations. You know, they, you know, minorities and especially blacks, you know, that they focus on, they need affirmative action because, well, you know, they're just too stupid. They're too lazy to actually qualify for a quality university. They need the godless overseer's yeah. hand, right? Um, and here is uh, Erica Marsh. I saw this on, she's been getting beat up on Twitter. And she says here, uh, if you guys can read it on the screen, she says, oh, come on, let me log in here. I can probably read it off the screen. She says, today's Supreme Court decision is a direct attack on black people. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system, which is exactly why affirmative action-based programs were, uh, were needed. Today's decision is a travesty. You have way better eyesight than me. I could not see that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get it pulled up on the computer. I'd have to log in. But, uh, but think about that statement. Black people will not be able to succeed in a merit-based system. That is a shocking statement, but I guarantee you, because if you look at her profile, she, you know, worked for Barack Obama, but in her mind, she's like, if you're talking about merit, no black person can hold a candle. Like, are you insane? And she's been getting crushed, rightly so, from a lot of minorities being like, yeah, I don't need your help to succeed. Like, <laughs> thank you, but I can do this on my own. And uh, even Michelle Obama, she had to jump in on the grift, you know, she had to let minority kids know just how hard and difficult and unfair life really was for them. Isn't that an inspiring message? Listen, because of your skin color, your life is immeasurably harder than everybody's around you. You might as well just give up right now. There's no way you can make it. Boy, that's inspiring. Thank you, Michelle Obama. Like, why isn't the message, hey, you know what, minorities, we may have been wrong in the past, right? Minorities, they've proven that they're every bit as capable of succeeding in this country as anyone else, right? And it's funny because even saying that, <laughs> like, it feels racist even saying that because it goes without saying. If you're like, listen, I believe minorities can succeed. And you're like, ah. Of course I do. <laughs> it's just, it shouldn't even have to be said, right? It's embarrassing to even say. But our pro politicians, they got no problem pumping that message out. I mean, it's all over the place, right? All these godless liberals that are the justice warriors. That but if you tell people they have an enemy and it's not the person saying it, they're going to believe you. Right. It's divide Someone and conquer. Else. Yeah. It's not your fault that you're not succeeding. It's the white man over there. He's holding you down. He's taking all those college, you know, admissions that should have been yours, right? Like the message should be, you know what, guys, life isn't fair. It's not fair and that's okay because it's never been fair. That should be the message. 
They should be telling that like the hard work is going to make you stronger. It's going to serve you better. And you'll be even happier than if you were just handed something. Because really the struggle is what makes a prize worth it. Yeah. You know, you could even, and this might be a stretch for our godless overseers, you could tell them that there's a God who has a plan for them, right? And they can trust in his goodness and his provision. That's a message that you can spread to them. But if the message is, minorities and black people will never succeed in a merit-based system. Well, now they have every excuse to never succeed. You've just given them the excuse to never succeed. No, I can't do it. The whole system's against me. Why don't you tell them, yeah, man, your mountain's a bit steeper to climb. So just work harder to climb it. And when you get to the top, you'll be better than everybody else. That's an inspiring message. That's a message you can tell people. Um, And look, I'm not sitting here saying removing affirmative action is going to make everything better for minorities. You know, they're still going to face hurdles, Um, might even be more hurdles. I don't know. Um, They might even face discrimination at some level. I'm not saying that that probably doesn't exist in the higher education system. But I would prefer to know that. I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Like, don't you want to know if there's a college or even a business or whatever out there that refuses to hire or enroll minorities? Like, I would want to know that so that I could not support that business. I don't want to be like supporting and rooting for secret racist people. I'd like them to just come right out and be like, yeah, we don't like black people on our campus. You'd be like, yeah, I'm not a fan of your program anymore. Like, that's good to know. Um, But, you know, and the thing is that would get out in the social media landscape mm-hmm. we live in, that would absolutely get out. It may even get out anyways because people just spread lies on social media. How about we media. just put it all to the test, you know, and just we'll see if people really are racist and discriminating now. Again, because if affirmative action has been working well for 60 years, then we should have rooted all of that out. People can now see yeah. just how successful exactly. and worthwhile diversity is. Yep. Um, but everything's got to be about fear, right? Even this is about fear. You know, uh, you're never going to succeed. Your life is so hard. We as Christians absolutely need to reject that because we're people of faith. Um, We should be rejecting all fear-based arguments. Um, Or, you know, at least we should be striving to reject all of those. And I think affirmative action, in my opinion, is no different. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the message should be, there's no reason you can't succeed. Um, And also, it's... To me, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but affirmative action in higher education is like slapping a new coat of paint on a dilapidated house. Because the reason that minorities aren't getting into these places of higher education isn't because they're dumber or less qualified. It's because by and large, I mean, a lot of minorities, right? They live in these liberal, secular, urban inner cities Their public schools are absolute garbage. They get no education. By and large, I know, at least for uh, black people, I believe it's 70% grow up in single-parent households. So that's setting you up for failure from day one. So why don't we have politicians that are saying, you know what, let's get rid of affirmative affirmative action and let's go and fix these inner-city public school system. Let's give these kids the education they deserve. Let's teach moms and dads to stay together and raise their kids in a nuclear family, because that's what makes success. Let's fight, you know, gang culture. Let's fight drug culture that ruins people's lives. That's how you fix it. 
It's not just by immersing these people in these wretched public schools, letting them run wild on drugs and gangs and sex and immorality. And then, well, he can't qualify for for college at Harvard. Of course he can't. <laughs> Why don't you fix the foundation of the house? Tear the studs down and put up some new studs. Don't worry about the paint when the house is falling down. Um, and that's all they want to do, right? Worry about the paint when the house is falling down. So we're in favor of this. Um, but that brings me to my last point here that I want to mention is you most likely have brothers or sisters in Christ that are on the opposite side of this issue than you. Um, they may be happy about this or angry about this. Um, so if you're happy about this, um, refrain from gloating, you know, don't jump on Twitter and, you know, say, you know, you guys suck, you, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? And if you're angry about this, try to refrain from, you know, angry outbursts, you know, lashing out at people, calling everyone a racist, a bigot, like this Erica Marsh girl. She should have chose her words wisely. She should have taken a day off of Twitter to give herself some time to cool down instead of just coming out and putting your foot in your mouth and saying black people can't succeed in this country. Um, you know, what is it? Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. Let me see if I can pull this up. You guys are familiar with Ephesians 4.26. Very instructive verse for right now in our society. Be angry and yet do not sin. Um, that is something we should be reminding ourselves of at times like these. Uh, you know, you may agree with it or you don't agree with it. Don't get angry and don't sin. Don't gloat and sin. And then also James 1.19. That's a very good verse for us to remember right now. Um, again, another well-known verse, but it's always good to remind ourselves of this. James says, you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Very good instruction, especially when we have access to social media. Social media makes you quick to Don't speak. Don't just jump out yes. there and call everyone a racist or a moron. Um, it's fine to have your thoughts on it. But be Christ-like as best you can. And if we weren't Christ-like in this, forgive us. But um, we are trying to be, for sure. Even though we're happy about this, we understand that there are godly people that may disagree with us. And I'm not going to tell them I'm right and they're wrong and they're idiots. Um, they may have very valid reasons for believing what they believe. So, And if you're one of those, please let us know. We are open to constructive criticism. So do you have any thoughts on just the news today before we roll into our Bible topic? Affirmative action, adultery, cheating, anything of that sort? No, I think we can go on to the Bible topic. It's very fitting. Or yeah. at least one of them. It's a very uh, timely uh, chapter here. All right, though, so... As we mentioned, right, we kind of wanted this to be focused on Christian living. Um, so even though this is a long episode, we wanted to make sure that we got our Bible topic in here. Um, and it's been a couple of weeks. So as a reminder, our Bible topic is really reading through Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. Very good book. Um, and I think it even says on the cover, a, uh, a neglected doctrine. You know, that's something yeah. we've talked about before. We don't discuss sin nearly enough in this country. And um, that's why we're going through this as often as we can. So we're on chapter eight this week, and it's titled Sin's Secrecy. 
And uh, this chapter here opens with Mark Jones, and he makes this point. The natural man usually does not wish to be found guilty of public sins. True, some are so degenerate that they boast in their public sins, but many non-Christians love to be thought of as good, decent people. And I don't know what year this book is written. (laughs) I think it's fairly new. But this is an interesting statement considering we just left Pride Month. Mm -hmm. Because I think that this is a true statement in normal times. You know, in normal wicked cultures, I think this is a true statement. Though, I mean, it's probably still true in large parts of our society. Um, You know, I think in large parts, non-believers still kind of want to present themselves as good moral people. Mm. But in recent years, we've really seen an explosion of people that are proud to show their public sin. Mm -hmm. You know, the entire pride movement is about expressing your sin to the world and trying to force them to accept it, right? Um. So I don't think that we can think that we're in normal times um, because there are times throughout scripture we read of um, where sin is exceedingly great. You know, you think of Noah in mm-hmm. Genesis 6, you think of Sodom and Gomorrah yeah, and these sorts of places. There's time when sin is exceedingly great in the land. And Whenever I, it's exceedingly great, judgment comes. It must come. It has to, yes. And I think America is currently in one of those places. Uh, you yeah. know, you've heard many people, we're not the first to mention that, you know, we're living in a Romans 1 culture. And I just wanted you, honey, to read Romans 1, uh, 28 through 32 for us, just so we can refresh ourselves on the culture we actually find ourselves in. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind, to do those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That might be the most profound part of Romans chapter one there. They know. They not only do, or they, uh, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Yeah. Um, That might be the surest calling card of our truly depraved state is just how um, emphatic so many our society are of encouraging people into their sinful lifestyles. Um, But so, you know, I think as I read through this chapter, I think I associated it more with those who profess to be Christians um, that still sin, you know, yet try to sort of maintain that air of righteousness to the world. Yeah. Which I think, you know, this book is obviously tailored towards Christian. So that's probably his mindset as well. I just wanted to make that case that I think in normal times, which I don't think we're in currently, but normal times, that's the true sentiment. You know, we try to hide our, you know, secret sin or our, uh, we try to hide our sins from the world. Mm -hmm. We're, We're in a very wicked time where I don't think that that's always the case. So, um, but I think as far as 
Christians generally, I still think that that holds true by and large. We try to keep our sins hidden from the world and make everyone think we're super godly people. But, you know, like we discussed earlier, the the pastor, but if you confess your sins, people will applaud you. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's true too. I mean, boy, that's a whole nother can of worms. There's for... no shame even in confessing your sin. You're like, well, if I confess, I'm just a hero. It's like, well, you're really confessing for the right reason? Yeah. I mean, how do you handle that? Well, maybe that's just more of an indictment on the pastor from the get-go. What I don't know, is everybody going to be I like that? I guess that's a good indictment of the pastor. If you, Maybe if you're a pastor, try this someday. Come out and you know, confess to a fake sin and see how your church reacts. And if they applaud and say, we love you, pastor, it'd be like, shame on you. Shame on every one of you. Do you not read your word? Hold me accountable. How dare you? Like, that'd be a good test of your, uh, you know, Father, forgive me. I have not shepherded my people well. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's a good test to test your. But church. I think secret sins really expose to us um, personally what we think of God, but also what we think yeah. of sin. I think that's a good um, lamp to shine on ourselves, you know, maybe even more so than the public sins, right? Um, the secret sins that we hold on to. That's something we can pray for, that God show me the ugliness of my sin, the horror of it. Yeah. Help I mean, me that's to, that. this, not just like, let me see it. I want to see the contrast between your holiness, God, and my sin. And because I want to appreciate Jesus' sacrifice all the more, worship him more. Yeah, we should. And that's why we should be taking sin seriously. You know, you should try to see past just the physical, because oftentimes you don't see the physical ramifications of sin. Yeah. I mean, most people go their whole lives with giving into their lustful desires and they never see, you know, the real damage that it causes, you know, they sit in front of that screen and they never see the sex trafficked girl on the other side of it. Um, And he even pulls a quote sort of on that idea of our secret sins being the worst from Stephen Charnock. And he says... Open impieties are refrained because of the eye of man, but secret sins are not checked because of the eye of God. Mm. Like, and that's convicting, right? Because he's basically saying like, well, we'll stop ourselves from the open sins because we're afraid of what, you know, man might say, or we're afraid of men seeing us. But we really have no problem committing the sins in private because we really aren't all that concerned with God seeing us, either because we don't care or because we don't believe, Right. And this is kind of that porn addiction to a T um, in so many lives. You know, most people have never had a public adulterous affair, but many people have those late night, nobody's home, I'm on the road, incognito mode, right? It's just me and the screen, doesn't hurt anybody, right? God's not here, eh, I don't have to worry about God, right? I mean, again, it really shows what you think of God, and what you think mm-hmm. of sin. It's hard to claim that you're, you know, truly sold out to God when you really don't consider him at all when you're sinning against him. Um, and then uh, Mark Jones, but just kind of pulling some quotes out of this chapter here. Great chapter. I'd really encourage if you guys haven't thought about picking up this book yet. It's a quick, easy read by and large, but boy, it's such a good read. So many good topics to discuss in here. Um, He makes the point that Christians nowadays are practical atheists. 
Uh, and that's hard to, <laughs> hard to hear. Uh, he says, as practical atheists, we know God exists, but our actions betray such when we sin against his name and law and imagine he does not see us. Wow. In fact, when we sin, we don't want him around. Mm. Um, We're no different than the atheists. Yeah, I mean... They put God out of their mind just the same. And that's what we, by and large, do. Um, At least they're bold enough to say it's like, we're cowards (laughs) and hypocrites. Right, I mean, that's the whole, you know, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Yes. You know, spit lukewarm out. Like, yeah, you tell me you love me, yet you don't consider me at all when you're sinning day in and day out. You know, you don't really, they, what's Jesus say? They, you know, profess me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Yeah. It's that same idea, you know, and think about trying to make that argument to somebody, you know, that supposedly love God. And they're like, listen, I love God. Believe me, I love God. I just don't want him around me or near me all the time. I just need some space every once in a while. You're like, all right. Uh, if somebody told you that, you would question their faith, wouldn't you? Like our love for God isn't the same as our love for people. Like he's he's holy and it's like sinning against him is... Well, then you would also understand that you can't make it on your own. Yeah. He better be close to you all the time because you're just a sinner. Yeah. Will go astray. Right. The second, you know... You are the one sheep over and over again. You're saying that Christ I love has to him. come find over yeah. and over again. But saying you don't need him is saying you don't know him and you don't love him. So if you knew him, you'd want him with you all the time. Right. Like, so that's what you would, should probably ask him. Like, do you want God or do you just want like a sky sugar daddy? Yeah. Because if you want God and you love God, then you don't get to say, I don't want him near me right now. I don't want him paying attention to me. No, you always want him paying attention to you. You always want him helping you and, you know, that sort of stuff. So just imagine trying to sell that to your friend. Well, I love God. Just not on Monday nights when the wife's gone. I mean, geez, Louise, I need some space. No, not a very Christian thing, right? Give me the good things and then leave me alone, Lord. Because I love you, of course. Um, but you know, the thing with secret sins is they're just as damaging. Um, and they might be even, and they probably are more damaging than the public sins. Yes. And Jones writes on this. He says, secret sins are also dangerous because they deceive us. Indeed, all sin deceives to some extent, but secret sins are particularly dangerous when it comes to self-deception. We tend to judge our outward acts of sin more strictly than our inward sin even excusing the latter because they did not become actual outward sins. And again, this made me think of Mike Todd that we discussed earlier, you know, that as long as you don't act on your thoughts, then you aren't sinning. Um, I think this, you know, idea of secret sins kind of falls into that category, you know, of just keeping them to yourself, right? Just pondering them in your mind. Um, Because if Christ says, for example, if you, lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart, then wouldn't the same hold true that if you, um, if you have homosexual thoughts, same sex attracted thoughts in your mind, but you don't act on them, wouldn't you be committing the homosexual act just the same? 
right? If you were greedy in your heart, if you were envious, covetous in your heart and mind, isn't that the same as acting them out? Why would adultery and lust be somehow different? Yeah. So we need to dismiss this, I would say, false notion that only the act is sinful because we need our minds renewed, you know, and we also need, you know, our minds renewed. We need our actions curtailed, but that curtailing only comes with a renewed mind. So they go hand in hand. Yeah. And I was just thinking on, I I highlighted this. Um, it says, we imagine we have committed some act of righteousness by our restraint. So if we just you know, keep our sin in our mind, you know, just lust in your mind, you know, maybe just the pastor we talked about, uh, Patrick Garcia. And then so it goes on to say, so instead of being humbled for our thoughts, we actually applaud ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I would that say that we have the control to not go all the way, but we can just dip our toes in and just enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. I, I love my wife. I would never cheat on her. Like those are just thoughts. But there's so thoughts. many women who say, I'd rather my husband be home looking at porn than actually out cheating on me. At least this. And I'm like, what? Yes. Take that woman to church. <laughs> That's not a good thought. <laughs> right? I mean, because your thoughts are sinful. Um, I think what well, we read Isaiah 55, 7 earlier, right? Um, Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts or mm -hmm. whatever that happened to say. Yeah. Um, so... Thoughts are just as important as your actions. Um, they need to be taken captive. Your mind needs to be renewed. Um, if lusting after a woman in your mind is adultery, homosexual thoughts in your mind is sexual immorality. Yep. Uh, that's the way we should look at it. Uh, he quotes a Puritan writer, Obadiah Sedwick, who said, Beloved, the main battle of a Christian is not in the open field. His quarrels are most within, and his enemies are in his own breast. When he has reformed an ill life, yet it shall cost him infinitely more, or infinitely much more, to reform an ill heart. And that's kind of that idea. Like, we can reform, and we can make the outside look good, but it costs us much more, and the battle is much harder to actually make the inside match what we, you know, present to the world outside. You know, we present ourselves as these righteous, moral people. It's a whole lot harder to actually clean out the inside to make it match the exterior, right? Um, and I think that that's true. Um, most of our battles are going to be within uh, because, yeah, we can convince ourselves and lead ourselves to believe that somehow, as long as I'm not acting, that I'm truly, you know, walking right before God when all your th thoughts are perverse and wicked. And again, now you're on the slippery slope when you're allowing these wicked thoughts to just be tossed around in your mind, you're going to eventually act on them. That's mm -hmm. just human nature. You will. But you would be ashamed if people could see your thoughts. So you're admitting by you being ashamed if it happened that it is sin. So why would you not? Like knowing that God sees your thoughts. And just you wait until Neuralink gets in your brain. They will know your wicked thoughts. Sorry, I had to bring had. AI back in here. I'm sorry, forgive us. I'm just exposing my thoughts to you guys here with AI. Um, 
So this episode's already really long. I don't want to keep it going. This book is awesome. Um, we'll have links to it down in the show notes. It's an affiliate link, but please go buy it. It's not very expensive. Um, discuss this stuff, you know, think about it in your own life. What are your secret sins? They're all different. Well, they're probably all the same. <laughs> I would imagine by and large, you may have a few that are different than me and I may have a few that are different than you. I think about AI way too much, (laughs) but, uh, you know, we need to start, you know, because we've been fed an improper understanding. I think not everybody, some people haven't been grown up in good churches, but if you grew up in churches like we did, we didn't learn this, right? Everything was God's there to help you. He's your overcomer. You're going to win every battle and have a great prosperous life. And, and our but battle no, was never with sin. <laughs> no, the battle was never with sin. It was never about walking in righteousness. It was always that, you know, God will help you through it and he'll, you know, help you win your battle instead of being like, you need to die to your old self. You need to let that go. You need to hate sin. You need to love righteousness. And it's not legalistic. It's mm-hmm. not legalistic to try to live rightly before God adhering to his law. That's not legalism. That's smart. (laughs) That's godly. That's what righteous people do. Um, Mm -hmm. But we were never taught that, right? So we have our own secret sins we've got to root out. And maybe part of that is confessing your sins, the the secret ones. If you have a godly wife or a godly husband or godly friends, confess them, make them public so you can have other people helping you and praying for you. Mm. But I do want to end with just two final quotes here from Mark Jones. Um, he says here, our secret sins are in, are in a certain sense, worse than those of a non-Christian. This is because we have the power to resist sin Mm. and the knowledge that we commit our evil thoughts and actions while in union with Christ. That's heartbreaking. And then the last quote here, Joan says, we can deceive others with what goes on in our hearts, but is not acted upon outwardly but we can never deceive God. For Christians, we not only should know this because of God's omniscience and omnipresence, but also because he actually dwells in us. In one sense, this is the problem for us. We cannot escape God's eye. But in another sense, this is the solution. The God who sees immediately can cleanse and restore. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the hope, right? God does see our sins. He sees our secret sins. He knows our heart. But that same God, if we are in Christ, lives in us, and he can help us cleanse ourselves from all unrighteousness. So mm-hmm. it's bad. He sees your sin. It's like fearful, but it's joyful. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you're a teen and you like, you know, do something stupid and get yourself in trouble and you know you have to go to your dad and he's going to punish you, but he's the only one who can help you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Dad, I crashed the car. He's like, you little idiot. Let's go get it unstuck, right? Like it's obviously God's much better, but um, so that's the hope too, right? God sees it, but he can help you. You just have to go to him in faith and pray and repent and he will. That is a prayer he will answer. So do you have any final thoughts here on um, secret sins of the Christian life? No, I don't have, nah, we can, it's a good discussion. I mean- Yes, feel free to come clean to us in the comments section with all of your secret sins. And I promise you, I'll pray for you and uh, I'll take those before God for you.
You have my word on it. So we do want to end, though, with the sermon recommendation. And our sermon recommendation comes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon on secret sins. Seems very <laughs> fitting. Now, of course, this isn't actually Charles Spurgeon, but just somebody reading a sermon of Charles Spurgeon's on secret sins. I think he's reading over Psalm 19, verse 12. Uh, I think that says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. King James Version, of course. But uh, go give that a listen. It's never a bad time to listen to Charles Spurgeon. But uh, otherwise, we'll be back on Monday. We want to wish you guys, sorry, we forgot to wish you a happy 4th of July. Don't blow your fingers off with fireworks. That would be foolish. Um, but we'll be back with our daily devotionals. We're finally getting back into the Gospel of Luke. Yay. Praise God. We are back in the Gospel of Luke and away from pride. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see what next week throws at us in the news. But until then, we hope you guys have a blessed fourth. God bless. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp.